0: giant robots smashing into other giant robots
1: this is the giant robots smashing into other giant robots podcast where we explore the design development and business of great products i'm your host chad pytel and with me today is heather ames co-founder and coo of narala heather thanks so much for joining me
0: thank you so much for having me
1: so, it sounds like you've been on quite the journey over the last few years in growth and getting the product to market. And I'm, I'm really excited to talk to you about all of that.
0: Yeah, it's been a wild ride and continues to be so.
1: So, when you first started, how was the transition of idea to launched product?
0: As a company, we were founded in 2006 and just as an idea. We basically patented the concept of developing AI and neural networks on GPUs. Mm -hmm. And at that time, we really just bootstrapped the R&D efforts in terms of how can we build better models that are able to be uh, applied on off-the-shelf devices like cell phones. In addition, at that time, it was actually before the NVIDIA Cuda programming language was even developed. And so we were quite ahead of the curve in terms of hardware readiness. So it was really just a time for us to work to refine the development of the algorithmic technology while we waited for the hardware to catch up.
1: So why don't you give people a little bit more of an idea of what Neurala is and how it can help people with their products.
0: Sure. Neurala leverages its proprietary AI platform and our expert services to empower enterprise companies to automate visual inspection. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by this is that we have developed a platform called Brain Builder that we launched earlier this year. It's powered by our LDNN, or Lifelong deep Neural Network Technology. This allows for people to build... AI models that enable faster training, less data, and allows you to learn as you go. This means that as you add more data to the model, you can see the brain learning and growing over time. You can also deploy the model on the edge, including mobile devices, and allow for it to learn additional information. So that's been the main target of ours currently today.
1: So visual inspection in enterprises, does that mean primarily on sort of manufacturing and assembly lines and Mm -hmm. that kind of thing?
0: Sure. It's a lot of manufactured product Mm -hmm. inspection, as well as defect detection for industrial assets, things like wind turbines and cell towers. And those inspections are typically done using drones.
1: Mm. Is the actual software running on the drones or is it sent back to the brain for analysis?
0: It really depends on the use case. So we have some customers that are very interested in having something that works on device or on the drone or on the robot to enable sort of faster decision making as it's moving through the world. Other people are more interested in more in-depth analysis offline. So after the flight has been completed.
1: Mm -hmm. When you launched The Brain earlier this year, <laughs> did you have real customers that you could launch that to that, that were early partners?
0: Yeah. So earlier this year, we launched the very first version of Brain Builder. And much of the design and technology that went into it was based off of learnings from customers that we had worked closely with in a services type engagement. Mm -hmm. So in fact, today, our software is on 43 million devices worldwide. And that includes both drones, robots, and also mobile devices.
1: Wow, that's a big number. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Is the brain builder centrally run or is it deployed to infrastructure that is, you know, owned by the enterprise?
0: So currently it's a SaaS product, Mm -hmm. which allows people to log in and build the brains through the web browser. We are currently in development for an on-prem solution because many of our customers are not interested in using the cloud to house data. They'd rather keep it inside for security reasons.
1: You were previously working at Boston University, right? And in a more academic setting,
0: Yes, that's correct.
1: And I'm curious, how was making the leap from a more academic setting to, you know, okay, taking this and creating a commercial product with it?
0: I would have to say that for myself, my graduate education was a bit unusual in the case that it had an applied flavor from the Uh get-go. So when I was in graduate school, Boston University was awarded a National Science Foundation Science of Learning Centers grant, which was a 10-year grant that allowed for approximately five million annual budget to encourage interdisciplinary research activities. And from there, I took a leadership role within the center and facilitated applied engineering throughout the life cycle of the center and I actually after graduated went on to be the executive director of the center until it closed or until the funding ran out. So for me I always had my foot in the door on industry for better or worse. I often assisted students to get internships and to work towards applied rather than just in the lab type solutions. And I say for worse, because there were many meetings I had sort of at the national level with these centers, where I had some very seasoned professors that questioned whether or not students from our program that would then enter into industrial positions were actually success stories, Mm. because there was still such a push to keep everybody in academia. But I, I do strongly believe there's a lot of great innovation that occurs today in industry.
1: How did you know that for you personally, it was the right time to make a change and to to work on your own product?
0: So there were a couple of factors that led me to make the jump from the university to the company. One was the improved development of the hardware. So it was really during uh, my PhD process that we could run the models that we're running today on large servers or workstations. So it wasn't really something that we could put into a mobile cell phone but that was sort of what we were looking for and it was a lot of increased development in the gpu space with video gaming and just this whole rat race to develop these super fast super amazing cell phones that have really been able to push the envelope in terms of what we can run on the edge which is super exciting so once that started to become a bit more real it was apparent to us that we could definitely um, move forward in terms of how do we productize this stuff, because running on the edge is one of the key features that makes this stuff just so amazingly cool. The other thing that happened, so through this, I was still affiliated with the university when we initially started Neurala and I have four kids and so it was after kid number two or when I was pregnant with kid number two that we entered the Techstars program and so I was initially a little bit hesitant about you know family making sure that we we kept things stable there but it was sort of after Techstars that it was just obvious like this was the place for me to be even with my small children along for the ride.
1: So I'm going to ask how it's been balancing things but Mm -hmm. I also know that your husband is part of the company as well. And so that's particularly the angle that I am curious. How do you both manage the demands of building this company together while also managing the demands of the family?
0: (laughs) So it's a challenging question on many levels. Uh, Nirala is like one of our babies. We run Nirala as a family business. For example, today my nanny is sick, So the two little ones, which are age two and seven months, are here in the office while... Somebody in marketing is watching them and somebody from finance has taken another one on the walk. So it's really <laughs> a family business from the get-go, which is important. And it's also important for the culture of our company as well. I like to call myself an unapologetic mom. So I will never make excuses for doing the mom stuff here. Likewise, I have the same expectations from the people that work with us. And mm-hmm. it may not be kids. It may be other things that are part of life, but really sets the stage for good work-life balance, which is something that's really important, I feel, for motivation and innovation here at Mm Narala. I mean, it's challenging trying to balance the family in the business and and so forth. We do the best we can, not perfect. I'd like to put on a, a happy face every day, regardless of how bad my night may have been. And that's important to me is to make sure that when I come here, it's about Nirala, even if my kids are with me. Mm-hmm.
1: You alluded to this when you were talking about the transition, you know, Nirala had been going on for a while, was, you know, sort of putting your whole family and working on the same thing and potentially really wanting to make sure that Nirala was going to last something that was a consideration when you were deciding to make the leap and go full time.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. So when both Max and I started our PhDs, we both went into AI out of a passion for the technology. At that time, nobody was talking about all the things we're talking about today in terms of AI. When we wrote some of our initial grant proposals, we were actually encouraged not to write the word AI or machine learning or neural networks in the text because it would be an immediate no way. So that's where we started. And it's just been over our careers that we've seen this shift uh, in terms of what we can do with it. So it's crazy and it's exciting. You know, we're all in in the company, which means our entire family is all in on the company. And we're very aware of that.
1: So I know in your role as COO, you're responsible for not only strategic thinking and product strategy right but also a Mm -hmm. lot of the day-to-day operations of the company in terms of finance and budgets and hr how do you balance all of that
0: uh i don't
1: (laughs) (laughs) well that was an honest answer Mm -hmm. thank you
0: (laughs) i mean at some point in time i told one of my team members that i like to take internships in each place so the Mm. way that i uh, work towards balancing everything that's going on here is i do I'll call it a mini internship in a place that needs some extra care or extra attention while at the same time keeping the rest of it sort of simmering. So that has worked really well for me. In addition, I've made it a priority of mine to hire an extremely amazing management team that they all come from their different areas of expertise. So I'm not schooled in business at all. I make sure that I hire the best of the best in all these areas so that I know when I ask for an opinion that I'm getting an educated opinion to help me to inform my decision making and that these individuals can work autonomously. So that's really important to me is to have this amazing team that I can trust to assist as well.
1: So your background is on the technical side of what the company does. Are you personally getting enough time and attention towards that to stay fulfilled in your work?
0: Well, although my background is in the technology, the thing that I found most fulfilling, even in graduate school, was the enabling of really cool ideas Mm. to happen. So within the center, I was just very fortunate during grad school to work within the center environment and then to take on a leadership position there early on. So I was really not just doing my own research, but also essentially getting a PhD in uh, facilitating innovation. And I've continued to do that here. So that's really where it's at. I still sit down and have many scientific discussions. I'm not coding anymore. I'm able to speak the language, which is really helpful, particularly when we're, you know, working through issues. So one thing that I find in AI companies is they often try to hire a lot of phds and very little engineering which doesn't really bode well for deployed products or solutions mm-hmm. here i like to have a balance of one researcher to every two or even three engineers and that means that we will hire engineers that are extremely skilled in creating amazing products but they may need a little bit more work on the ai side it's a very new kind of technology to work with and you can get sort of surprised sometimes on how it may operate. So that is helpful for me to be able to speak the language on both sides to make sure that there's clarity there.
1: On that point, you mentioned Neurala has been going on for a while, but the Brain Builder just launched uh, at the beginning of this year. Yeah. Was that what you were working on that whole time or?
0: Oh, no. Yeah. (laughs) So the very initial iteration of that, actually came, I would say, about five years ago when we were doing some customized work for a large corporation and we needed to develop tools to annotate visual data. And there were no tools that were really able to capture what we wanted to do. So that was the initial version of it. It was very rough. And we have just been iterating with that over time as we have been doing different projects for people And then figuring out sort of where the low-hanging fruit is in terms of what our customers are asking for and how our technology can provide them with those solutions in a in a more self-service way so it's been my experience that many many ai companies are out there and talking about their products, but it's very actually a very challenging technology to productize for mm-hmm. a variety of reasons. You know, one of which is basically how the structure of corporations works. So many corporations have innovation groups which are very interested in having an AI strategy, so to speak, for their company, whether it's in terms of implementing it in their own operations or their products and they get a lot of pressure also from their boards to develop this strategy so they start reaching out to the likes of us or other companies to get those answers and so a lot of ai companies end up as just straight one and done shops and educational shops where these companies come and say oh i have this data can you do something cool with it but they have no idea how it solves a problem of theirs there's a lot of that going on a lot of noise in that space as well as we have other people that have built different kinds of, you know, just small pieces of the puzzle. So uh, various frameworks that you can build things on, like TensorFlow and so forth. But there's no solutions out there that really allow somebody with a just a slightly technical background to be able to take their data and develop an entire model that they can then deploy on a variety of devices. And so that was really where we found our sweet spot, and we've been developing from there ever since.
1: Have there been requests along the way where you say, that might be a valid idea or a need, but what we're trying to do with the product, or, or even it doesn't match what we can deliver technically at this stage?
0: Absolutely. So that was one of the ways in which we have been able to, let's say, rise above the noise. Mm-hmm. We have, a, unfortunately, expensive but long qualification process just for that reason, and there are many, many people that we we do turn away because they have either unrealistic expectations or really bad data is usually the biggest thing, or mm-hmm. they don't actually have a problem they're trying to solve. And right. we are not interested in doing the one and dones.
1: So right now the product is focused on visual stuff. I, I'm technical, but this isn't my area of expertise. I'm I'm curious, how possible is it to move between different domains. And is that something that is on your roadmap in terms of, okay, we're doing visual stuff now, but we want to move into another area in the future?
0: Sure. So from the um, theoretical or research perspective, it's very easy to move Mm -hmm. into different spaces. So for example, my PhD was actually in speech. So that's where I started out. And we try to stay focused in vision because we want to really get that right. It's Mm -hmm. a good space to be in. But with that being said, we actually have a current customer that is pushing hard for us to make that leap into 1D data, so time series data, within the the industry that you know we're very interested in. So that's probably going to be the one that pushes us over the edge to something else. And in terms of implementation, we have a lot already developed. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of Honestly, it's a lot about user experience at this point in time.
1: Right, yeah, if you look at the website, which I encourage people to do at neurala.com, you can see how the, the user interface is primarily geared around showing pictures because it's visual. Okay. And so I can imagine that that would be one of the biggest challenges. If technically you can move between different problem spaces, making that user interface uh, work could be a big challenge.
0: It, it's a big challenge and a huge opportunity. So, with AI as a new technology, and also technology that evokes a lot of emotion from its users, mm-hmm. we feel that it's extremely important to get the user experience right and yeah. and do that well. So, we put a lot of time and resources into that, and continue to do so. We have a lot of work on that on that space because it's just so important to give the user the right tools that they need to get the job done, but also to give them the feeling that they're in control. There's a lot of people that are very concerned about AI taking control. Mm -hmm. So through our user experience, we need to make sure that the users feel that they are in control at all times.
1: I think one of the challenges that a lot of growth companies face or new companies face is you have all this opportunity in front of you and it's exciting or you can feel like you're turning down an opportunity when you're trying to focus, but focus tends to be better especially early on than chasing mm-hmm. every opportunity. It sounds like you've tried to strike that balance.
0: We have tried and you know that has also had its ups and downs, you know, through the years as mm-hmm. the technology matures, but we definitely find focus to be an important factor, particularly at our stage without losing sort of sight of the uh, industry as a whole. It's Mm -hmm. important for us to make sure we focus, but we also look up from time to time.
1: How do you find new customers at this point? Are, Are most people finding you or are you really having to get out there and do more outbound activities to reach people?
0: So we do get a lot of inbound interest, but With that being said, a lot of that inbound interest falls into the category of a one-and-done or of an educational reach-out. So in order to be more efficient with our sales process, we do as well outbound activities so that we can target people that have more specific problems that we can actually solve for them.
1: Yeah. I'm curious, in that outbound... Where's the market today? Are most of the companies that you're reaching out to saying like, oh yeah, we're actually all set. We're doing this. Or is it like, (laughs) no, it's so far away from being on our roadmap to incorporate artificial intelligence into this kind of visual problem that we might have. Or is it somewhere in between? Where are you finding the market today?
0: So the market's the wild west. Um, It's very (laughs) fun and exciting. Nobody's done. We have some people that are trying to do it in house. Yeah. Very few of them are successful. We've had more than one occasion where we've talked to a company that we have, you know, some initial conversations and they say, thank you, but we're going to try to do this in-house. And then they reach back out to us after about a year yeah. and realize that that wasn't a good idea. But we do also still have a lot of companies that have an AI roadmap and they have a product roadmap and they're working on how to best integrate those together And then there's the third case of people that know exactly what they want to do Mm -hmm. and they know that it would make much more sense for them to work with us than to tackle their problems internally.
1: Mm -hmm. You know, as a company that is already doing, for example, inspecting wind turbines, Mm -hmm. that that company may already be doing it and may already be spending a lot of time with people classifying images and looking at them and, and that kind of thing. Is that the ideal customer for you? Someone who's already... Doing it all by hand?
0: Yeah. So in that particular example with drone-based inspection of the wind turbines, we've gone through sort of the entire, I guess you could call it life cycle of how that happens. Mm -hmm. And what we have found is that partnering with the companies that do the actual drone flight and the software associated with that are the ones to work with and then from there they reach out to the the owners of the wind turbines. Oh. And so what they did beforehand was they were using helicopters to take video and images of these turbines which I'm sure you can imagine is very challenging. Mm. Now they do the drone based flight with people actually, you know, available to fly the drones. And then we work with them on developing the software that helps them to find the defects they're most interested in on the on these turbines. And so we've been doing several of these types of projects recently, which have been very successful.
1: That's cool. So your, your actual customer or partner there is someone who is opening up that channel to you.
0: Yep. We initially thought, oh, let's try to get on with the drone manufacturers. That was several mm-hmm. years ago. And we found that that space is just unpredictable and wasn't close enough to the use of the technology. So this new um, business model has been very effective.
1: Did that happen by accident? It's like, oh, yeah, this is what we should try because people came to us? Or was it something (laughs) that you realized as a team and adjusted your strategy for?
0: It was definitely something that we had realized, but Mm -hmm. we were also at the same time getting just tons of inbound interest at every person that has their foot in this technology stack. So from there and all the conversations we had with all these different individuals, it was very clear to us where we needed to be on that. And in fact, we have facilitated even making some of those introductions so that we can provide a more solid solution. Mm
1: -hmm. So as you look ahead... What are you worried about or or spending most of your time on looking and trying to make the company successful?
0: Sure. So there's a few things that are a focus for myself. One is we are offering Brain Builder, the SaaS product. But along with that, we have many, many customers that still need custom work to be done. Mm. We don't want to be a services company, as most people obviously don't, particularly those that are venture-backed. So it's a very interesting and intriguing challenge to us to be at the front of that transition into full productization. And so that's where my mind is probably. 20 hours of the day, every day. I think it's completely fascinating. And in order for us to do that, we do have to work closely with many of our key customers to make sure that we make the right design decisions within our products so that we can move in that direction. So that's very fun for us. And so in that case, we want to be the leader in developing a completely self-service AI, which is not just a platform, but it also provides the tools and the environments necessary So that individuals can harness the power of their own data and be able to deploy that. And this is also important to us because we advocate for giving the power back to the people and the control back to the enterprises and users. And what I mean by this is most people we speak with have their own data They're not interested in sharing that data, and they're not interested in using somebody else's data. They need to develop a solution to a problem that is very specific to them or their customers. Mm -hmm. So this is what we like to do is to provide them the tools and the platform to be able to accomplish that goal. They're not interested in, for example, some of the solutions that may be available by Google because... That doesn't give them any competitive advantage Uh, over others in their space. So we really focus heavily on how can we enable these more specific, smaller custom brains to solve the problems that they're looking to solve.
1: Do you ultimately envision having a complete self-service model where you don't need to provide any custom services at all?
0: So as of today, you can completely self-serve yourself Mm -hmm. within Brain Builder to make a, a visual recognition model and deploy that onto a cell phone. We have a companion app available for iPhones that allows you to do just that. So it exists today to have that, but it's a very, obviously it's an MVP and we're working to develop a whole bunch more technology and user experience tools to enhance that. So I think that a more realistic goal, however, is to think of it as probably about an 80%. So 80% mm. of our customers would be self served, And the other 20% is always going to need a hand-holding customization because there's just so many nuances to this technology. Right. And we're so well positioned with the amount of expertise that we have here at Narala, both in terms of expertise in the AI space, but also in terms of the deployed solutions and engineering space. We are very skilled in getting these models to be very lightweight and fast on edge devices in a way that most AI companies
1: are not. So where do you think that you will be <laughs> in you know, a year or two from now as a company and as a product?
0: In a year or two from now, I would like to be much further along in terms of this balance between services and product. So Mm -hmm. self-service is really the key there. I'd like us to have the best user experience compared to our competitors because that's a huge focus for us we are working towards defining our product market fit. So that's another goal for us over the next year as well. So this is a really pivotal year for us. We raised a Series A in 2017. We're still bootstrapping on top of that, which is fantastic. And so this next year will really be the year where we create that model, that repeatable model that just needs more gasoline. So it's very exciting.
1: Your product can obviously be applied to lots of different industries. And And that sort of thing. So I imagine when you look at your addressable market, it's pretty large, right?
0: For sure. So right now we're mostly looking into the industrial manufacturing space, inspection space, because having such a large addressable market is a blessing and a curse. Mm -hmm. And we really need to build out the tools for this initial space and then expand from there, which isn't too much of a leap.
1: Yeah. Particularly if you have a strong base of early customers there that can help you make your offering better, that makes a lot of sense.
0: Exactly. But we also get some really, really crazy customer
1: requests, which is is always entertaining. You know, I have lots of people on the show. and I don't always go down this road. I think (laughs) in particular, it is because I have in the back of my mind, boy, you know, I bet you get lots of crazy requests of all these different ideas because we, you know, as a consulting company that does design and development and helps people bring new products to market, you know, quite a few people come in very early stage companies that say, oh, we're going to use AI to do this. Yeah. And even if that makes sense for the product at some point, it's not where they are today. For sure, yeah. And so I imagine you get a similar thing in your in your funnel.
0: Oh, and it's so true. And we also get some people out there that are just really out there and really passionate about their specific problem, but they're really like doing this out of their garage with right. no right. real commercialization. Right. But they they love it, so.
1: The reality is, is for some of those people, I don't say this to everyone because it needs to make sense for the stage that they're at, but it really does come down to, well, just start your product and you or someone else do what you think the AI would do. Yeah, (laughs) You're literally building the MVP and you're going to have one or two customers on day one in an ideal scenario. (laughs) And so you don't even know whether you have a viable product or not, let alone taking the time and investment it would take to build an AI model.
0: For sure particularly with our platform, it enables you to upload your data, mm-hmm. run it through sort of a vanilla model, see how it's working all within the span of, depending on how much data you have, but you could do the entire workflow in less than an hour.
1: Yeah, that's great.
0: You know, instead of engaging with a, an AI consultant to sort of work through developing it from scratch where it could take you maybe $20,000 and you're like, oh, actually this data isn't very good. Right. So that's something that people have found a lot of utility with the product.
1: That's a really good point, a way to validate, you know, the data that you do have and, and see because you're right, you can, you can even just spend a lot of time learning that your data is not good enough. Exactly. Well, Heather, thanks so much for stopping in and sharing with us. I wish Narala the best, as you said, in this pivotal time. If people want to get in touch with you or find out more about the company, where's all the different places they can do that?
0: So we have our website, which is Neurala.com. And I'll spell that again, N-E-U-R-A-L-A.com. We are also on Twitter, LinkedIn. We have email info at Nirala.com. I'm on Twitter as well as the company. So my Twitter handle is at Ames Versace. And then I believe we're also at Neurala.
1: Wonderful. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you. It's been a lot of fun.
1: You can subscribe to the show and find notes for this episode at giantrobots.fm. If you have questions or comments, email us at hosts at giantrobots.fm. And you can find me on Twitter at CPytel. This podcast is brought to you by ThoughtBot and produced and edited by Tom Obarski. Thanks for listening and see you next time. This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. We are experienced designers and developers who turn your idea into the right product. With local studios in Boston, New York, San Francisco, Austin, London, and Raleigh-Durham, let's build something great together.